You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Trevor Garner, Chief Financial Officer of Idea Crew, a healthcare technology company in Washington, D.C. He oversees finance, business development, and human resources. He's also the chairman of two not-for-profits in Maryland and is an avid golfer and boater. So that's somebody who's got lots of free time on his hands. So, of course, he wanted to join us today for the podcast. Trevor, thank you so much for joining today. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, tell us a little bit about Idea Crew. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Thanks, Laura. We specialize in building healthcare exchanges, and we do that for states. So where a state is our end customer, really our technology is designed and focused on the end user, which is the consumer or small business owner, and the ease that they can use that system. That's the predominant product offering we have, although we also do have other state-based contracts. So we specialize in state-based contracts, and we don't currently do any federal contracts. So to the extent, if I'm understanding correctly, and for everybody else out there to process, your client is actually the state and the online platform that they use so that you out there, the listeners who need to access their healthcare and doing it through the state, it's what you interface with. You're building it for them. Yeah, exactly. So you enroll through our technical platform. You connect with carriers through our technical platform. There's a rules engine built into it so it knows what you qualify for. And we do that for individuals and small businesses. Got it. So you're really thinking two levels worth of clientele. There's your clients who is the state and their clients. and You're creating the platform for two levels down. Yeah. The states keep us very honest with that. And that's ultimately our mission is to make healthcare accessible and easy to access. So uh, we work very closely with states to make sure the platform does exactly what they and us want it to do. I think everybody in the audience just let out a little cheer of thank you, because heaven knows we want you to make it easy for us because going to government websites is not usually known for being a clear and easy to navigate experience. So thank you for the service that you provide to the rest of the world. It's our pleasure. We do everything in the cloud. We do everything with what actually is called open source code. So it's completely transparent to our clients and the end users. So that is our goal to make it easy and accessible and straightforward. Terrific. Now, what's your favorite part of your job and why? To me, and you said a little bit in the intro, clearly I'm not somebody who likes to sit around and twiddle my thumbs. So uh, to me, it's the variety. I'm here talking to you right now. I'm heading to a finance meeting right after that, have a call with a client in business development after that, and probably need to make some time for HR today as well on a couple issues. So to me, variety is kind of the spice of life. And I'm fortunate in my role here at Idea Crew that I get to wear a lot of different hats and that kind of keeps me sharp. I will throw a a shout out to my team that allows me to do that because obviously I have experts in each of those fields that's job is full-time every day. So, but 
but I like the variety. I like not necessarily knowing what's coming next. So I volunteered to help the technical team, but they and my daughters vetoed that as not an effective use of my yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you've got enough hats to wear. So it sounds like a good yeah. idea to delegate something eventually. And That's so right. they were good of them to help you figure out what that should be. Now, in this world of the online platforms for healthcare, et cetera, What's something that is new or exciting or important that's happening? We don't think about that as being a, a quick changing field, but what's something that's coming up for you? And more importantly, how do you have to adjust your messaging when you're talking to the different key stakeholder groups about it? The interesting thing in our business is at the time you could set up a state-based healthcare exchange, which is what we build. The choice was to do it alone or to do it through the federal government. And what's kind of interesting and happening in our trend right now is working with the states that chose to be in the federal government program and looking at the benefits and the pros and cons of switching to a state-based marketplace. So you really have two groups in that setting you're talking to. You have the politicians and elected officials that actually would have to enact it into legislation. And then you'd have the folks either in the health and human services office in the insurance office or in a newly formed government agency that will actually have to make it happen, right? So I think you have to tailor the conversation to kind of why a state should do it and and kind of tailor that conversation, kind of the benefits, you know, pros, cons, and that good analysis. And then when you shift over to the actual implementers of it, you have to get much more logistical and like, this is how you do it. And this is how it can be successful. Here are the steps you'll need to consider those type of things. So you kind of have two different groups and who we talk to about those things at the state level. So give me a sense of when you're having a conversation with a politician, what's the angle that you're taking relative or in comparison to when you're talking about the just governmental workers who are the ones who are going to have to, what does it even mean to implement, if you are a person who implements this system, what do they need to hear from you? I think there's a couple really neat things. First of all, most of the states who have done this, it is almost completely bipartisan. Hmm. So in our world today, it makes me feel happy when you have something that has largely bipartisan support. So when you're talking to, and and that's not to say people don't look for that, it just it, it just doesn't happen. And it just doesn't feel like it happens. This is an issue where it happens. So I think one of the things that probably isn't so important to the implementers, but I think very much to the politicians, is here's something you can coalesce around, you know, create agreement around and create kind of a unified direction, which I think is a big positive. So I tend to think of for the elected officials who have to continue to be elected, you want to do something that's beneficial for their constituents. So to to think about things that are I think bipartisan has a certain weight when you're trying to get reelected. I think, you know, improving healthcare has a certain weight. I think saving money has a certain weight. So you try to, I really think you're trying to explain to them, here's how you do it. And I think to a lesser extent, the real technical side, when these healthcare exchanges started, there were some challenges because no one had built one of these before with some of the early technical platforms. So when you get down to the implementers, as I'll call it, the government employees, You have to really kind of educate them on, hey, here's where you were, here's where we can take you, here's the components that will allow us to be more successful than maybe your first memories back in 2013, et cetera. No doubt, no doubt. And what's something in doing all of this, whether you're communicating with your politicians, with your government employee and and implementers, or with even your team, what's something that you're really good at and what's something that you wish you were better at? 
Yeah. So I like to think when I'm outside, I'm a perfect communicator. I don't, don't always believe that to be the case. I think I'm very good at setting and inspiring a vision or an action. I think I'm pretty good at keeping it simple. And certainly internally, I'm good at developing and investing in others. I think the other thing that for better or worse, I'm pretty good at having the tough conversation. And that would actually go inside and outside the organization. Because I think if you walk away from those tough conversations, that's how problems start. If I had to pick on something I'm constantly thinking about, and, and I enjoy talking with someone like you because I'll tend to talk and listen fast, and you probably do a good job of adjusting to all styles. But you know, for me, what I have to make sure I'm doing is always acknowledging that I've heard. So I think sometimes I don't necessarily have a problem with listening or comprehending what someone's telling me. I think because of my mannerisms of how I like to communicate, I could leave someone unsure that they've been heard. So I really try to think about acknowledging and then similar but different because I might talk a little fast is to confirm that they understand. So if it's in a one-on-one or in a group, whatever the setting might be is acknowledging that, you know, and, and sometimes I do that by repeating, hey, I, here's what I think you're trying to tell me. So they know that I've heard it. And then when I set direction, that's kind of saying, do you have any questions or you're understanding kind of the direction I'm setting or, or what I'm trying to accomplish? And I think that's a good and bad at being somewhat comfortable in communication because you might go a little fast. Yes. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because the acknowledgement piece is so simple insofar as just remembering to do it, but difficult for many people to actually execute. And it, it really doesn't take a lot of time. But boy, does it pay dividends as far as your social capital, your political capital, just having people trust you and feel like you are listening to them. You might have heard every word they said, but I find that when I'm talking to someone and they're very passionate about something, they're concerned about something, they want to share something that's really important to them. If I hear what they say and then just add my two cents afterward, whether I agree with them or otherwise, they may wonder, did she hear me or is she just waiting for me to stop talking so she can add her own comments to it? Yes. Whereas if you just take those 30 seconds and either not necessarily recap, although sometimes a recap can be useful, but just to let them know what you've heard, not just with a yeah or right, that's that's perfunctory, but yes. something a little bit more meaningful. Boy, when people feel like they have been heard and understood, they're so much better able to hear and understand. And it just greases the skids. Yeah. And I think the other really pivotal part to that is it allows, you know, the other thing I do more internally than externally is I tell people what I'm trying to work on, mm. or I tell people what I think my struggle will be to open the door for them to kind of correct it. Because when I discovered that first issue, I got a complimentary call from my boss at the time. And this was a, I, before Idea Crew, I spent 20 years at M&T Bank. And one of my M&T Bank bosses called me and said, hey, great job on this. It paid me this huge compliment. But in my head, I'm like, that's great. I'm glad they're happy with that. This is the conversation happening in my head, not, right. not verbalizing. But I really need to talk to them about this other thing. Thank goodness they called. So they get through that. I'm like, great. And then I launch into the issue I need them on because I know their time is valuable. And they stopped me and said, like, Trevor, did you hear what I said? Right? Like, I'm really happy about something you did. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> and that was like a crystallizing moment. And the person helped the leader of the time helped me understand, like, hey, take a moment, take the lap and say, like, you know, thank you so much. That's great. You know, and then I could easily say, I'm um, so appreciative of the call. Do you have time 
for another issue that I would like to talk with you on. And then again, that probably was 15 seconds or less, but I was like, I'm jumping. <laughs> so, and that's what I have to kid, you know, that's one of the things I think I also just believe fundamentally we as people are either evolving and growing or we're shrinking, right? Like there's no, I don't believe in maintaining. I don't think you, I think as soon as you think you can maintain a certain thing and don't continue to evolve knowingly or unknowingly, you start to regress a little bit. Sure. Sure. We're either growing or we're dying as some people yeah. like to say. And it's funny to think about in that particular story that you just shared, I can imagine the other persons, when we think about things like the love languages, uh, the five, mm -hmm. there's also the, the newer version of that, of course, which is the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. And for the boss to be calling or uh, it was a boss or clients or who boss. was it? it was yeah, the boss, the so boss, for the boss yeah. to be calling you and saying, I want to acknowledge you. I want to give you credit. I want to tell you this and for you to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But I want to talk about this. It's like, well, I just gave you the gift. It was the, the language of, of appreciation and acknowledgement. I'm going out of my way to take the time and put in the effort and try to explicitly acknowledge many of these things for you. Do you not appreciate the fact that I'm trying to appreciate you if you don't want things, if you don't want what that's so, and it's funny, the things that we take for granted and you know, it's, it's the, I go back to the Jerry Maguire a lot. Help me help you. Yep. Well, even funnier on that point, I've read the book, the five love languages, and I am definitely words of affirmation. So the irony to that is, yes. is I still need to acknowledge that I appreciate it or how am I going to get any more words of affirmation that I actually enjoy very much? Yes, <laughs> so. yes, yes. Great. And the, we are funny in the way that we are inconsistent sometimes in our behaviors. We like to think we're consistent. Then when we take a step back and we go, Oh, perhaps that one deviated just mm -hmm. a little bit. So kudos to you for, for that acknowledgement. Absolutely. Now, in learning to connect with so many different stakeholder groups, how have you had to learn to shift your approach to them in order to connect with them effectively? And was it ever hard to do? I think it's very hard to do because, again, it takes a pause for me. So I try to really, one, if you're going to be an effective communicator, you have to prepare. And you have to be thoughtful about what you're going to say. And almost through preparation, it can feel more off the cuff. Like if you prepare enough, I think too many people go into opportunities to talk to groups and they're not really prepared and therefore they wander. So for me, I like to make sure I'm very prepared and I think about who is the audience and what they're going to understand. If I'm talking to my sales group versus my operations group, how does that relate differently? Again, talking back to the politicians and the implementers. I also think there's one critical part is you can never fake it. Like, you know what you know. So when I'm talking to a group, if I actually know what they need to do because of my own experience, I think that's very powerful. But I think you also have to own things that you don't know when you don't know. And then the other side to me is either the group is figure out like how to use some laughter or a little bit of sense or humor to kind of pull the group back in, depending on how long you're talking to the group. So I try to think about if I've got a five minute message, I probably don't need a lot of laughter and jokes and funniness and, and kind of resetting. But if I'm going to talk to a group for an hour, I better be somewhat entertaining, regardless of that group. One group might need it more or less. And that kind of comes back to the preparation. But I think when people see a good speaker, there's probably someone who's very well prepared. Yes. And they'll think it's off the cuff, but it really is not off the cuff. Exactly. And preparation, I think a lot of people make the mistake of assuming that it's black and white, either you're scripted or you're spontaneous and natural, so to speak. And if anything, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You don't want to be completely scripted because then it ends up being stilted. Most of us were not trained to be script writers, to be dialogue 
writers or monologue writers. We were trained to write reports and whatever. We can write more conversationally, but that doesn't mean we actually are truly clear on how we speak. So it ends up sounding really stiff and stilted yes. and heaven forbid someone I, asks yeah. a question and you have to deviate from what you had memorized, you know, all bets are off at that point. Yeah. I'm a big believer in notes and I'm a big believer in outlines because I can't work for the same reason you just said, I can't work off a full script or I will struggle to work off a full script yep. and none of my speaking requires teleprompters. Right. So the other piece I say is great speakers are afraid to have people know they have some notes right? and are prepared. I think that's uh being polite and courteous to the listener saying, I've been thoughtful towards this. 100%. Now, depending on what you are, it, again, some of the things I would do would be, if it's a longer thing, if it's a short five-minute intro of something that you know really well, you might not need a single note. But I think having that prep, that allows you to, inter- it allows me to interject humor because I'm not going to lose pace or space on where I am or, or, or the timing of it. Um, it also allows someone to ask a question because I can go back to the outline and know where I was. Agreed. Agreed. So a little bit of preparation, run through it, do X, Y, Z, but know that that is not the equivalent of scripting. So give yourself that opportunity. Right. Now, this brings us to the listener 24-hour influence challenge. So Trevor, I'm giving you the opportunity here, open door, talk directly to our listeners and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Yeah, I'd like to give them a vulnerability challenge. I've spent a lot of time thinking about vulnerability and as I talk about how I grow myself and whether it's the Fortune 500 world I was in or the wonderful small business I get to help lead today, a certain amount of vulnerability is really critical. So this may happen in 24 hours, but it should happen and probably will happen within a week. And that is we all have either you know, via internal meetings or emails or whatever might be moments where we would feel kind of mad coming on or anger coming on. And I would submit that that's not really what you're feeling. That's the reaction to what you're feeling. Interesting. So when I get mad, it generally means that maybe someone hasn't respected my opinion. Maybe someone has hurt my feelings because they haven't respected my opinion, but it isn't the mad. The mad is the defense mechanism that lets me go on and what that does is not solve problems. So I would test you to say, like, take that vulnerability and really explain to the person you're having to interact with one-on-one or in a group. I once did it in a group and a colleague did not pay one of my thoughts too much attention and kind of gloss right over it. And I realized my feelings were hurt because I felt like my opinion wasn't valued. And I summoned the courage and said to protect the innocent, we'll call him Jim. I said, Jim, you know, it really hurt my feelings when you kind of gloss over my idea. Like it felt like you didn't care what I had to say. Interesting. Okay. I'm dying to know when you said that, how many other people were in the room or was it just the two of you? Uh, probably about 10 people, you know, a lot okay. of our colleagues, a couple of senior people, and there was an uncomfortable silence. You, you may have thought I it was bet. a minute, but it was probably five or 10 seconds. And immediately, aka Jim started retracing and saying like, that's not really what I meant. I apologize. I didn't mean to do that. And we got back on track. If I had taken a swipe at Jim, which we've all seen happen in meetings, we would have gotten further off track. And I think it's an ultimate gift. So the challenge comes with a gift. Jim has two options at that point. He can say, Trevor, I'm sorry. I had no intention of doing that. We're back on track. And that's someone I want to partner with. Or he has an option B, and this is why it takes courage to try it. But I really strongly encourage. He could say like, Trevor, I don't care. Like, grow up. I don't, your feelings are hurt. Get over it. I'm moving forward, right? That's a bigger gift. 
And why that's a bigger gift is I don't want to partner with someone that if I can be honest, communicate clearly, get in touch with how I'm feeling, doesn't respect that. So whether that's a client, whether that's a boss, whether that's a colleague, it's just an interesting opportunity to kind of be really real with what is the disconnect you're having with that person. If you're about to send a mad email out because of something someone said, pick up the phone, call them, get in touch with what you're feeling and what you're feeling is not mad at the crux. That's your defense mechanism kicking up. I'm curious, what happens if the person who hurts your feelings in that moment is your boss or outranks you? I think in that case, like in the story I told, it was a peer and a colleague. So I felt like I was demonstrating behavior that was effective for the group. If it had been my boss, I would have waited. I would have literally at the end of the meeting asked to speak with them for a moment privately or say, I have something I want to chat with you on within the next 24 hours. So I do think I would handle that separately. I haven't had that specifically, but I would do it that way and and not do it in front of the whole group because it will give them a chance to really have a sincere conversation back with you and not worry about what their other direct reports might be thinking or they can just have the conversation with you. But I still would have it. How would you frame that? So you ask the boss, okay, can I talk with you later on? There's something I wanted to just chat with you about. They say, okay, you walk into their office. You know, in your mind, all the stuff that you're thinking, but the biggest gap in the world is those three inches between your brain and your mouth. What happens when you open your mouth? How do you articulate that? How do you open that conversation? Yeah, I go with keep it really simple. I wanted to talk with you about the meeting the other day. I'd shared this piece and you'd kind of overrode that or seem not to care so much about it. And I felt like I was getting upset or mad and I wanted to get in touch with you and just say, it felt like you didn't really value my opinion. And or you didn't hear my opinion, you, you got to articulate what you're feeling. But, you know, I think it's and, and how can we better communicate? Like, I, I don't think it's a one way street, but it's like you open the door to say, like, this is how I was feeling. And I want and I think you end it with and I want to make sure I always have a good working relationship with you and we're free to talk about what's on our mind. Yes, yes. Putting in that that value afterwards and the what's in it for you and the where I'm coming from. And my goal is to strengthen our relationship, not just. Uh, condemn you or criticize you or complain to you, but for the value of us being able to move forward. I think that's super diplomatic. And I'm not advocating for it. I don't want to create things where people are like, well, I don't like working for this boss, so I'm going to leave. But I do think, again, it's a gift how your boss interacts with you and the relationship they want to have with you, just like my employees and or my boss or anyone I deal with in the not-for-profit sector or my personal life. Do you want friends, colleagues, bosses that you don't communicate effectively with. And I would argue, or who don't care whether you feel valued or not. Like that is one of the things you need to think about in choices you make in all aspects of your life. So I, I think it's a powerful challenge. I think it's really, it's simple and incredibly hard, but I encourage people to try. No doubt. No doubt. Now, what's an example of a communications related mistake you've made? Yeah, I can think of one in particular where uh, this is ironically, I am, it's a situation where I was talking to a senior person, not a direct boss, but I'd taken on a responsibility, some additional responsibilities and had done what I thought was a fairly good job and maybe wasn't rewarded quite as I would have liked. And I was able to express that to my direct boss. And then ultimately, I was called into a meeting with like a very senior person. And the senior person said, how are you doing? And I immediately, and, and this is the speak fast, follow fast. I immediately launched into, well, I'm not doing real great because I had this impression of this. I've been told no, you know, and I launched into this whole thing. And the actual answer to the question was, I'm doing great. How are you doing? 
right? I mean, it was like literally that simple. And I think that's kind of, there's communication mistakes where you're trying to like, I don't think it was for the wrong reasons. A senior person is giving me some time, but it's like, I didn't call the meeting. I didn't ask for the meeting. I voiced a concern of my boss. Maybe it had nothing to do with that. Unlikely, but at the same time, when you think about how you want to communicate, that was a case where I definitely over led the conversation, overshared the conversation. And therefore, I don't think I got as much out of the conversation as I could have. Now, let me poke that little hole there for one second, because there mm-hmm. are those who would say, well, what about authenticity? That if you're really feeling this overwhelmed and someone asks, how are you doing? Is it being inauthentic to just say, I'm great or I'm fine? It might be a semantics thing, but he mm-hmm. literally said, how are you doing? Which was the opening to a conversation. <laughs> if he said, how is work going? How is the job? Like, how, like, I do think I could have, I still should have done it at a slower pace. I would have said it's been great, but I do have a few disappointments. Mm. Like less is more. Like, so even there, I would have, I still in that saying, I kind of maintain what I did within that saying, but if he had moved it into a little more of like a leading question, I still should have cut it shorter. And I, and even if that was what happened, I wouldn't have been capable sure. at that point in my life. I was, I would, so I would have still launched. And I think probably maybe the mistake therefore is you don't have to launch the full way. Like you're having to interchange with someone, you know, kind of answer the question, certainly authentically and directly, but you don't have to over share. Sure. Sure. You'll get more feedback as you kind of pull that apart. So I don't think you should be too coy either. So I, I think, I'll be, but I think it's just, I was just, the, the issue I was having was that full on launch, which I can, you know, that's what I have to watch. Right. Right. The conversational mm-hmm. exchange versus the open mouth, turn on fire hose and just completely mm-hmm. drenched the other person before they know what hit them. Yeah. So wean in slowly or get a sense of what they are looking for. If you were on the other side of it, how would you want that person to unload on you? What would make it a bit easier? Maybe you like the launching and the, the fire hose method, but you never know. So thank you for, for addressing that because there is always that question about, well, how much is authentic and is there degrees of appropriateness and what's TMI, et cetera? Yeah. yeah, I'm a big heart person. So I think when you're in a dilemma, like follow what your heart is saying, even professionally, like if you're feeling bad about something, I want to follow what my heart tells me. That's the guide. So I just want to do it maybe a little slower. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so. sure. Not give people's brains a yeah. chance to catch up. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I think we get in trouble when we look at authenticity as being black or white. Sometimes you can feel a certain thing, but do you really need to launch everything or is yeah. you want to tell them ex- how unhappy are you if you want to call them a bad name it's probably not in your best interest a little more right. diplomacy is di- diplomacy is still authentic yeah. and as long as we're not <laughs> i stopped just short of that just for the listeners <laughs> <laughs> well live and learn right yeah now with that let's talk about succession planning for a second mm-hmm. is in all the jobs that you've had the various companies what has disqualified or could otherwise disqualify an otherwise technically internal candidate from taking a greater leadership position? And what would they have to do to fix that problem? Look, I think communication is a leading piece to that, especially in my business now, and to some extent, the banking business, we'd really technically savvy people that didn't necessarily always have the empathy that you would want them to have. But I think the other part is, and this kind of comes back into the vulnerability part to me, which is I assume that when I got promoted, I after times, I kind of said, why am I getting promoted in these roles? And I think you have to do 90% of the things right to have a chance to be promoted, right? So if we assume that you have to do 90% of everything right, then it's like Trevor or Laura, you've got a chance to move here. I think actually what's more important is the 10% I did wrong. 
and that my bosses understood I made a, the wrong call. I identified what that wrong call was. I fixed it and I communicated it to my boss. So especially in the bigger the organization, which was kind of my previous organization, still true in this organization is you'll have more trust. I'll have more of my CEO's trust in my current role based on correcting things that weren't the perfect choice versus making the right choice, which is already expected. And that really boils down. The only way you can do that is kind of get in touch with this wasn't the best call understand the call. And then you can't just fix it and and like wipe it under the rug. That communication piece is the icing on top because I think that's what allows my CEO today or the people at M&T as I moved up in my career to say like, we trust him or we trust her. It's not so much what you do right. We all do a lot of right things. It's I think succession planning and driving your career is much more figuring out what you did wrong and creating a correction, creating a communication and showing that that's the type of leader you are. Interesting that it's more about what you do when you get to a higher point, because it's no longer about what you do well technically, because we all know what you do well technically. It's how Mm -hmm. you rose to the certain level. But now people are starting to evaluate more what you do or might do wrong in the communications aspect. So knowing what to sidestep and what you should not have the reputation for. You think it's like a net, you start learning to tightrope walk and there's a big net or you're maybe two feet off the ground or something like that. You have this low net. The more you move up in your company, the further you're going to fall before you're saved. And what I see is there's such a fear of saying like, I did something wrong that most people hold on to those bad choices and ride them right into the ground and ride their prospects of promotion right into the ground, right? Because it's like they didn't see that that person wasn't doing well, didn't have the crucial conversation, didn't make the change. How do I trust them with more? For me, and what I look for is, I, and that's 100%, it's what I try to do, and it's what I look for in the succession of my own company or within the, the boards I serve on. It's like, I want to understand that because as you become more successful, the net, the safety net gets further and further away. Interesting. Okay, safety nets and those kinds of skills. So be mindful of that analogy. How far down is your safety net? Interesting visual. Finally, Trevor. Advice to future generations. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates regardless of what their next steps and direction in life are going to be? What's the one thing they'd have to do to be successful? Right. Well, I feel like I'm auditioning for John Jay High School, which I graduated from in 1989. So if anybody up in New York is out there, I'm (laughs) I'm ready and willing to speak. But it would go something like this. I think absolutely find something you're passionate about. And then work harder than your entire career group. You talk about this 10,000 hours of excellence. Get your 10,000 hours of excellence. If you follow those simple things, that's also how you're going to make the most money or create the lifestyle or whatever other values you attach to success in career, you know, title, money, et cetera. If you can do those things and you do those things constantly and, and you want to continue to grow as a person, you'll have great success, I think. Love it. Find the passion, but then work at it. Work, work, work. Mm-hmm. Trevor, how can people learn more about you and Idea Crew? Yeah, well, my email address is simple because I said I like to keep things simple. So you can always email me at trevor at ideacrew.com. Ideacrew.com is our website and be happy to talk to any of your listeners more about anything we talked about today or professional uh, life in general. That's terrific. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. And to everybody else out there, thank you for tuning in once again. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and whatever your favorite platform of choice is, so we can help even more people to increase their confidence 
presence, and influence. And finally, as always, if you want to download my free guide for equipment recommendations for greater virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The host, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.